0: is uh, a letter that God inspired, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write. And as as he uh, shares this uh, letter with the people at Corinth, he also is speaking to us. God speaks to us through his word. And, and so we're going to take the next, I don't know how long, and walk through the letter of 2 Corinthians. Hopefully for, it's for a little bit because I, you know, I found a pretty cool picture and I was able to put my title on there. And so I want to make that last for a little bit, not waste my title. I'm, I'm just kidding, but kind of. Like, I mean, you know, it just, when things come together, you want it to last. And so, anyway, we're going to look at the first 11 verses this morning and, and walk through uh, the opening of this letter to the people at Corinth. The, these folks were folks that Paul had met on one of his missionary journeys where he had went in and he had shared the gospel with these people over like three a three-year period. And as a result of that, a church was born. A church began to take shape and and so they, they are a group of people that he knows personally. And this is not the first time he has written to them. These folks had a lot of issues. You want to read about a church with problems? Read 1 Corinthians. Uh, it, there's always somebody who's got it worse, right? Read 1 Corinthians and you'll find out all the stuff going on there. But the second time around he writes, this might even possibly be the third letter he's written to these people trying to straighten them out. He's actually writing because they've begun to believe that maybe Paul's not a legitimate apostle. That maybe God didn't actually call Paul. Maybe Paul doesn't have any authority after all. And so he's writing to them to say, hey, listen, I'm the real deal. But as he talks to them, he, he does so in such a way that when, when we get into the meat of the letter, we'll see he, he shows us that God is actually telling us that we can be new, that we can be made over, that we can have brand new life in Him. And so that's something we're going to see as we walk through it. And and the very first way He does that is He begins by talking about suffering. He begins by talking about what it means to walk through hard times in our lives. You see, one of the things that the people in Corinth had done is they'd begun to say, if Paul's really called of God, he sure does have a lot of issues. There's no way that somebody who's called of God has as many problems as he does. And so what does Paul do? Well, Paul faces them straight up and says, listen, I ain't trying to hide nothing. Let me tell you about my issues and how God actually uses my suffering to make me new. And so this morning, I want us to look at suffering in a new way and I want us to see how suffering actually uh, creates a, in us a, a new way of viewing God. And so begin reading with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother... To the church of Corinth, our church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Acacia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Will you join me in prayer? Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. God, as we open up your word and study your word together. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. God, that you would remind us of your grace as we face struggles, as we face troubles, as we face suffering in our lives. God, I pray that we would look to you for the answers, that we would look to you for our comfort as you are the only one who can truly comfort us. Help us, oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. And so as we walk through this, we're going to see a few different things about Paul. Uh, In verses 1 and 2 here, we learn that Paul is an apostle. He's one who's been called out by God, sent out by the Lord Jesus with a specific purpose. This word apostle, this idea of behind Paul being an apostle is sort of a loaded uh, uh, idea. Because you see, Paul was not your typical, uh, he didn't have your typical conversion experience. You would expect someone who wrote a lot of the New Testament, maybe more than anybody else, to have a pretty you know, smooth ride into Christianity. You would expect someone who was responsible for seeing churches planted all over the world or all over the known world during his time period, you would expect him to have a pretty, uh, you know, wonderful uh, conversion experience. But, But Paul, the apostle, was not always Paul the apostle. He actually was, at one point, saw the terrorists. Like his whole job in life was to terrorize Christians. That's what he did. Like, he, he grew up in a very Jewish family. He grew up in a family that was very focused on God's law and on God's word. And so he was very serious about it. He took it very seriously. And so uh, as he got older, he learned of a group of people who were claiming to be people of God, but following this man named Jesus, diluting in his mind his religion, that taking people away from the true God to some false God. Paul did not like this. At all. And this time his name would have been Saul. He did not like this at all. So he does everything he can to get rid of these people he considers heretics. He begins to hunt them down. And at one point we see one man lose his life as a result of what Paul is doing. And, and so he, he is so serious, in fact, that he's given orders to go to a place called Damascus to carry more people and drag more people off into prison for simply being Christians. Well, it's on this journey that. Saul meets a man named Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus says to uh, Saul. And Saul says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm the Lord Jesus who you're persecuting. You're persecuting my people. You're persecuting me. And from that moment on, Saul the terrorist becomes Paul the apostle. We see God calling him out. And, and from that moment on, he does whatever Christ calls him to. And he begins to serve the Lord. And he begins to faithfully plant churches wherever he goes. So you would expect his life to get uh, infinitely better. But the truth is it gets infinitely worse. It goes from the guy going around beating people up to the guy being beaten up. We, we read stories about where at one point he was in one town preaching... And they threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead and left him for dead. His response is to get up, go back into town, and then leave the next day. We, re- we read stories about Paul. <coughs> at one point, he was shipwrecked on an island, and he was helping build a fire. A snake jumps out and bites him on the hand. Paul shakes it off into the fire. Everybody's like, man, this dude's dead, and he's He's not. You see, Paul was very well acquainted with the idea of suffering. He lived it. He was speaking from experience when he speaks about suffering. He he is speaking from experience when he tells us about suffering. You would expect him to have an easy life, but he actually had one of the hardest lives. He's one of the toughest dudes you read about. And yet he writes more than just about anybody else asking for help. And so he's a tough guy who knows a lot about suffering, but he also knows a lot about our God. Listen to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Almost as if mercy is God's child. Mercy comes from the Father. He's the one who gives us mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve, which is death, punishment for our sins. Instead, He gives us forgiveness. He gives us a fresh start. Paul at one point would say that he was the chief of sinners, uh, and that there is no one a greater sinner than him. Basically, if God's grace could find him, it can find anyone. If God's grace could save him, it can save anyone. Pa- Paul believes, and he shows us here that God is a father of mercies. Not only that, he is the God of all comfort. In other words, comfort comes from God, not just some comfort, but all comfort. This is a lesson, guys. that's hard to learn. Because basically what he's saying here, and what we'll see as we walk through this, is that if we're going to find comfort, we must find God. If we're going to be comforted, we must rely on Him, which is sort of the opposite of what we see in our world. You think about the things in our life and the things in our culture that promise comfort. Things like TV, things like food, things like clothes, things like different types of substances. Things like people, things like sex. I mean, the the, the list just goes on and on and on of things that promise to bring us comfort that very often bring us pain. As we begin to look to these things to to alleviate our our pain, our fear, our stress, many times they they bring more. Look at what he says in verse 4. Speaking of, of God continuing, he says, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See guys, it's only when we allow God to work in our situation that we'll find true comfort. God Himself is at work to bring about comfort. He, he says that He works in our affliction, in all of our afflictions. This word affliction isn't just pain, it isn't just sickness. It has to do with anything that would cause us stress, anything that would cause a storm within us to brew, anything that would, would cause us to fear, anything that would cause us to lose sleep. You ask what's an affliction. Affliction would be anything that if I were to ask you what keeps you up at night, you would say it was this. Or if I were to look at you and say, what are you worried about, you would say it's this. Paul says that God comforts us in all of our afflictions, that he relieves these things for us. It says he does this through comfort. Now when we think about comfort, we don't think about the same comfort Paul's thinking of. We think about maybe what my wife does, you know, to unwind sometimes. She takes a, a shower so hot that like the bathroom turns into a sauna. I don't know if any of you other ladies do that, you know, like there's steam rolling out from underneath the door. I'm like, what is going on in there? How can she stand it? She's way tougher than I am, right? But, but I mean, sometimes we think of that as comfort. Sometimes we think of, you know, a cabin in the woods or a deer stand or the golf course or shopping or, or you know, good old ho- uh, homemade apple pie. We think, man, if I can have some of that, I can be comforted. That's not what Paul's talking about here. In fact, what he's talking about is closer to encouragement. Sort of like it. I don't know if you guys uh, watched the the Razorback Bowl game the other day, but I I hate to bring up a sore subject. But, uh, you know, the the first half, it it looked pretty good, right? I mean, 24 zip, going into halftime, going to get a good halftime speech. Apparently, one team was comforted while the other team was not. Because they came back out and what happened? They never scored another point and the other team scored like 35 unanswered. One team was comforted. One team was encouraged and strengthened while the other team was not. And I don't know whose fault it was, but, but that's, that's what Paul has in mind here. He has in mind the, the halftime speech, the go get them speech, the, the type of encouragement that causes us to say this thing that I fear, this thing that keeps me up at night, I can overcome it. This thing that is causing me bad dreams, I can challenge it. I can face it. Comfort's not taking our mind off of our issues. It's taking them to the Lord and allowing Him to deal with them. You see, when we deal with our issues through the other things, not necessarily bad things the the world offers, when we we deal with our issues by trying to take our mind off of them, what happens? They don't get better, they get worse. They fester. Like if we just try to take our mind off of that stuff that is bothering us, the water's never going to get hot enough eventually we're going to have to come out of the woods and we're going to go bankrupt trying to buy happiness. You see, he calls us to face our troubles. True comfort with the Lord is encouragement, not escape. And, and that's, that's where we miss it. I, I remember, this would be easier to tell if she wasn't here, but my mom, one time I remember I, I had smashed my finger or something. I think I might have been being a little whiny about it. But I remember standing there, her standing there at the sink washing dishes. I said, Mom, I hurt my finger. And her response was, oh, just don't think about it. It'll be okay. Well, that doesn't make it feel any better at all, right? I think that's where I get my nurturing spirit from. But, but, but anyway, but that, that's the way we try and deal with our issues, right? It, it's okay with a, a throbbing finger. Eventually, it will be okay. But there are so many things in our life that we think if we can just not think about them, somehow everything will work out. But what God calls us to is to face them head on with His encouragement, with His Comfort And some of the way that we do this is realizing that our comfort actually has purpose. Verses 4 through 6 show us this. We won't, <coughs> just for time's sake, we won't look through every single uh, verse here, but you notice that the second part of verse 4, it says, So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So that we can comfort other people. God comforts us in whatever, they're, whatever we're facing. And he goes on and he just continues this, this line of reasoning in verses 5 and 6. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. So that we can use our pain, our circumstances to help them get through their suffering. You see, it makes a lot of difference if you've actually been through something when you're trying to help someone, doesn't it? There's just something comforting about having someone who's actually been where you are. Saying, hey, I've been through that, it'll be okay. I remember uh, af- right, right after we had begun pastoring, we were at a church outside of Memphis in the, in the Delta area, and everybody there growing up as cotton farmers. And they talked about how hard it was being a cotton farmer growing up. I was like, man, that sounds rough. I-, I got nothing for you, though. I wasn't a cotton farmer. I don't know what that's like. I can't relate to that. Now, other folks, some of you may have grown up as cotton farmers. You say, I can remember those hot days. I can remember remember that hot work. The same thing is true with our suffering. Who better to comfort someone who's going through cancer than someone who's been through cancer? Who better to, to comfort someone who has lost a spouse than someone who has lost a spouse? Who better to minister to someone who is going through the process of losing their job than someone who has lost their job? In the same way, when we experience pain and suffering, God is saying, use this experience. It's not pointless. It's not meaningless. Use this experience so you can come alongside other people who are struggling and offer them some encouragement. Offer them some hope for tomorrow. Hey, God got me through this. He'll get you through it as well. Because uh, this morning, are we looking for ways to strengthen other people? Are we looking for ways that God is using our pain to help others? Our pain has purpose, and that purpose many times is to help other folks. You may feel like your pain was pointless and meaningless this morning, but it's not. God uses when we go through hard times to help others. He expects us to pass on His comfort. But there's also another way, another purpose behind our comfort from the Lord. And we see this especially in, in beginning in verse 8. <clears throat> For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we've so, uh, we're so utterly Burden beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again he says guys I'm not trying to hide from you how painful it was for me in Asia In fact, it was so bad that I was beyond my strength. I was beyond my ability. I had nothing left to offer. I had nothing left to give. My tank was empty. I I despaired of life. I didn't even think I wanted to live anymore. Not only that, I felt like God had put the sentence of death on me. I felt like I was given a death sentence, that I was on death row, and all I had to look forward to was death. And so he says, listen, I want you to know that God put more on me than I could handle on my own. We were burdened beyond our strength. This morning, if you've been there, or if you are there, join the club. Paul the Apostle, the toughest guy I've ever read about, was there. He was beyond his own strength, beyond his own capabilities. Sometimes we think that to show weaknesses, uh, or to show that we're not strong enough, is somehow, you know, uh, weak, or that it's somehow uh, other than manly, especially, I think men probably have a, problem with this more than women. I'm not sure, just speaking from personal experience, but, but sometimes I think that we forget that some of the toughest people we'll ever read about reached out for help from others. Some of the, the heart, the, the, the guys who we would look up to and say, man, that's a, that's a tough person there. They're the ones who reached out for help. And so Paul says, I, he put me through all of this for a purpose, for a reason. And we see it there in verse 9, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. You see, it's only when you think you're as good as dead that you finally realize your only hope is the one who can bring you back to life. It's only when we believe and understand that we are under a death sentence that we find real faith. Guys, I'm not sure if you are aware of this or not, but everyone in here has the death sentence. We're all going to die. Hopefully not right now. But we're all going to die. We're all going to experience death. And it's in, until we uh, understand that, until all of our other hopes are lost, we're not going to have this true faith that Paul is talking about here. Until we give up on everything and everyone else, our faith's going to be lacking. See, suffering has a way of pointing us back to the Father, back to His strength, back to His love, back to the One who will raise the dead. It has a way of reminding us that this place is not our home this place is not our hope this place will never satisfy us one day all the stuff we're trusting in all the stuff we're afraid of losing will be gone our only hope is that there's one who can raise the dead because this place is temporary this place offers no satisfaction not at least not lasting I mean we catch glimpses of happiness and, and and we enjoy life don't don't hear me saying you know it's We're all miserable. I I mean, I enjoy life. I enjoy having fun. Those things are great, but none of it is meant to sustain. None of it is meant to be our hope or or our place of trust. Paul Paul says, I was given a death sentence to remind me to trust the one who lives forever. He says it took staring death in the face to remember the trust in the one who gives eternal life. Because it's at that moment I realized my only hope is that God can raise the dead, because that's my only option. Because our hope this morning is not in flesh and blood, but in the one who will raise us up, even from the grave. Our hope, our ultimate hope, is not deliverance from our present suffering even. It's not even deliverance from our present situation. It's for eternal glory. And no matter what we face, God can make our temporary circumstances better. But guess what's going to happen? We're going to have another trial and another trouble, another struggle and if we're not to the point where we understand that, uh, th- that our only hope is that one day all things will be made new we're going to miss it and we're going to spend our lives miserable feeling like God is not fair when in reality what he's doing is he's reminding us this isn't our home, this isn't our hope, our hope is next, our hope is uh, coming after we die at best this place is a twisted shadow of what's in store for us And so even death is not powerful enough to separate us from the one who made us through Christ Jesus. Then we come to verse 11. And, And it's just interesting to me the way that he ends this section. He says, by the way, I have a prayer request. You also must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. He reminds us this morning, guys, that prayer matters. How often do you ask the other folks to pray for you? For real stuff, not just... I I know we're good at praying for other people and asking for prayer for other people and especially asking... We even ask for prayer for our physical needs. But when's the last time you asked somebody to to pray that you would be comforted? To pray that you would be encouraged? To pray that you'd be strong enough to face the stuff going on in your life? When's the last time you were real with someone and asked them to pray for something real? something that they couldn't see themselves. See, his point here is that we face our struggles not alone, but together. That we face our struggles. And he points this out all through this opening section of his letter, that we do not face our trials, our stress alone. We face them together. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one is comforted, we are all comforted. We do not have to face these things by ourselves. In fact, when we do try to face our burdens and hold our burdens on our own, We're actually being disobedient to the Lord. See, He commands us to cast our cares on Him because He cares for us. And a lot of times the way that we cast our cares on Him is by casting them on our fellow believers and saying, hey man, I I need you to walk with me through this. Can can you help me get through this? We are to bear one another's burdens. For some reason our culture as, as churches has moved away from this to where now we try and play hide and seek with our pain with our real issues. We're like the, the young guy trying to prove how strong he is by caring more than anybody else and ended up tearing up his back. God, this, this is why community is so important. This is why we do things like Sunday school and small groups and, and spend time together outside of, of church is because we, we want to build relationships, knit our hearts together, have God knit our hearts together to where when we have something going on, we can say, hey, I got something going on, can you help me? So we can stop being Lone Rangers so we can stop trying to carry it all on our own. We, we cling to the body of Christ even more so when we're suffering. Now, now we, we need to understand something. This doesn't mean that everybody needs to know everything about everybody. It would be impossible. But it, so there's no way we can know everything about everybody, but every one of us can know things about somebody. We don't have to have a, a, a deep relationship with every single person in our church. It would be impossible but we can have a deep relationship with people in our church as we walk and do life together. Let's be reminded this morning that God has called us to bear one another's burdens, and He has called us actually to share our burdens with others, to walk through these things together. And so develop real-life relationships with folks in, in, in our church. Develop those relationships so that we can bear one another's burdens, so that we can strengthen one another. Give me a call. That's sort of what I do. Let me know what's going on. And so this morning I ask you, where are you looking for strength? Where are you looking for encouragement? Are you trying to wait out your issues? Like, man, maybe if I just don't think about this for a couple months, it'll just go away. Or, or, or are you trying to pretend like they don't exist? Maybe you're trying to hide them. Maybe you're trying to run away from them and, and not think about them through other means. You're trying to drown your pain in other ways. I want to tell you, those things become less and less and less and less effective. See, it turns out this morning, it turns out as we read God's word, that the only way to find real comfort is through the one who has all comfort, through the Father of mercies. He calls us to turn to him, to trust in him, to believe on him and be reminded that he offers to us uh, free grace. He offers to us free comfort. Guys, this morning, will you repent of trying to be strong enough apart from, from the Lord? He knows what you're going through better than anyone else. We mentioned earlier that it's nice to have someone who's been through something to walk with you through it. You read the book of Hebrews, you find out we have a Savior who's not far removed from our suffering, but He Himself became a man and He experienced much suffering. Take your troubles to Him. Talk to Him about it. Maybe this morning you're somebody who has followed Christ, you've been walking with Him, but somewhere along the way you forgot that you can't do it all on your own. And you're you're looking at your life and you're saying, man, i got all this stuff going on and I can't handle it. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to take my next step. I don't know where to go. I feel frozen and stuck. God is calling you to to get plugged in, to find people to to build relationships with, to bear their burdens as they bear yours. Have you gotten beaten up and beaten down by the stuff in your life? God calls you to take encouragement from knowing that this stuff, this life is temporary and He offers you eternity. The God who raises the dead will one day raise you. The worst this world can do to you, which is take your physical life, is nothing compared to what God has done for you, which is give you eternal life. Take encouragement this morning in knowing that heaven waits for all those who have trusted in Christ. Or maybe this morning, guys, maybe this morning you've never believed on Him. You've never uh, come to Jesus. You've never come to the place where you understand that you're far from God, apart from His grace. You're apart. Uh, from God because of your sins because of what you have done against him maybe you've never come there maybe you've never come to that place where you understand that Jesus is the only way you'll ever be saved the only way you'll ever have real life I'm going to ask you this morning to put your hope and your trust and your faith in him who raises the dead he's the only one who can provide comfort for you this world will offer you all sorts of other stuff and say hey do this and it'll make you feel better about yourself and it may for a time But then you're gonna have to find something else, and then something else, and something else, and you're never gonna be satisfied. The only one who offers real comfort, real satisfaction, lasting joy is the Lord Jesus. See, he offers to us new life. He offers to us forgiveness from all of our sins, a cleansing of all that guilt and shame that we feel. Because he paid for it in our place. He made the sacrifice for us. And then it is this comfort, it is this joy. That gives us motivation to face tomorrow. And so if you've never put your faith in Jesus this morning, I want to encourage you to do that. If you have put your faith in Him and you've forgotten just how amazing He is and that He wants to walk with you through whatever it is you're facing, be reminded, repent of trying to do it on your own. Whatever you're facing this morning, you respond to Him. Let's stand. And as we stand, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we'll sing. Father, I thank You. Lord, You are good and we love You. God, we thank You for Your comfort. We thank You for Your grace. God, we thank you for your mercy each day. Lord, I pray as we've gathered in this place today to hear from you that that's indeed what has taken place. God, I pray that we have actually heard from you today. God, I pray that those who have gathered and have heard from you, that they would respond in, in faith, Lord, that they would respond by obedience and following after you. Lord, I just pray that as we leave here today that we would find comfort and strength in knowing that you have us in your hands. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.